0: Thanks I believe I am
1: Father, it is with great joy that we come before you in confidence, knowing that you love us and that you want relationship with us and that you are at work transforming us. And as we've come to worship today, that's the desire of our hearts. We know that you are present with us in our worship. We pray that you will give us grace to experience you as we sing and pray and Share your word together. Thank you for your grace upon each of us. And we we offer our gratitude and thanksgiving in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me encourage you to take a moment to share a word of greeting with others. As we've been doing the last few weeks, feel free to extend that time a bit.
2: As you're settling into your seats, I'd like to invite all of the first through fourth grade Sunday school kids to come on up to the stage. First through fourth grade Sunday school kids, come on up.
1: Chin, one thing to you, as you see in the bulletin this today, we're collecting uh, the uh, refugee jars, the uh, money we've been collecting for uh, helping refugees, And there are baskets in the back. If you forgot to bring your jar today, we'll be collecting over the next few weeks. Uh, But I want to uh, thank you for your participation in this project. And we've been able to uh, offer a lot of assistance to the work of helping refugees, particularly in uh, the Buffalo area as well as in other places of the world. Thank you.
2: We're excited to have some of our Sunday school kids sharing with us some of the songs that they sing as they gather on Sunday mornings. go back and sit with your family.
1: to spend some time praying together, and uh, I think one of the things we may want to give thanks to God for is our children, and uh, we love having them as part of our family, and they're important to us. I want to pray for God's grace on them, and there are other burdens and concerns. Some of them are printed in the bulletin. Others are uh, things that we bring with us. We know that there's a lot of tension in our world right now. There's a lot of things happening uh, in the lives of people we love. And we're going to do something we did a couple of weeks ago. We're going, to, we're going to invite those of you who would like to just, maybe if you can, to stand where you are and offer a, a brief one or two sentence prayer as we uh, join our hearts together in prayer. We'll take just a, a few moments of silence to prepare our hearts. And then when those of you who would like to uh, offer prayers, then I invite you to do so. Father, we thank you for your presence in our world, many situations in our world that are tense. We pray that you would bring peace, that you would help your church around the world to be a presence of hope and life. Pray for uh, Leah Doty and her work with Wycliffe Bible translators as she is uh, working in, in Thailand and uh, preparing to go to another place, we ask that your grace would be upon her, her ministry. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who face great opposition for their faith in you. and We think of uh, some young men in Ethiopia who are facing uh, a trial for their faith in you, and we pray that your grace would be upon them. We ask that you would bless their families and the church there. <laughs> that they would know your presence in the midst of difficult circumstances. We pray for those uh, among us who are dealing with grief and loss and pain. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns and issues that we deal with in in our lives. Uncertainty about the future, relationships, and all the ways in which uh, life can bring difficulties to us. We ask for your grace upon each of us. We pray for the Standards United Methodist Church and Pastor Jacqua and ask that you would bless them in their ministry and their service and their community and beyond. We pray that you'd help us as a church to be a place that um, is, is so enamored with you, with loving you, with loving one another that it becomes so evident to everyone who encounters us. Lord, thank you for your grace and your blessings in our lives. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. Father, give us eyes to see what you're doing in this world and to be servants who join in your work here and everywhere. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
2: Following the tradition of the church, please stand, if you are able, for the reading of the gospel. After the reading of scripture, children may be dismissed for children's and junior church. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened.
0: My sorrow and dead, my sin. Lost without hope, with no place to be. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. was retained, only beauty remains My orphaned heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested, my
1: One of the realities of life is that wherever there are people, there is the struggle of sin. Sometimes we want to to think that that's not true, and sometimes we want to give people the impression that it's not true. But the reality is, wherever there are people, there is the struggle with sin. Whether you're talking about people who, are, who have completely rejected Jesus or people who've embraced Jesus. If you talk about people who are outside the church or all of us sitting here this morning. Wherever there are human beings, there is the struggle with sin. And this is really, I think, what Jesus is addressing in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 7. As we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes to a place where he wants to help us understand not just the fact that there is a struggle with sin in all human beings, but as citizens of the kingdom, how do we make a difference? How do we influence people struggling with sin, people who are outside the church and people in the walls of the church? What does that look like? What do we do? How do we how do we influence people so that they can so that we can all sing what we've just sung about freedom and about joy and about relationship with God through Christ? It's interesting to me that as Jesus begins this conversation about how we respond to the reality of sin and people who are struggling with sin, the first thing he says to us is really about us. It's not so much about the people who are struggling as it is us. He says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, people have interpreted this passage. In fact, this is one of those passages that often gets quoted by people who are not Christians, have nothing to do with the church. But, you know, if, we, if, if somebody starts saying something about sin, they say, hey, you're not supposed to judge. Right? We've all, we've all heard it. Maybe we've said it. The, the thing is, Jesus is talking here about our attitude, our perspective. He is not saying that, there is, that we cannot assess what's sin and what's not, that we cannot name things as sin. He's simply saying, what is your attitude about it? And he's addressing our, our natural human tendency to want to judge and condemn people who struggle with sin. And it's, it, there, is a, there is an arrogance that comes with this kind of perspective that Jesus is talking about. An arrogance that says your sin is bad, my sin not so much. And and I have the right to judge you. But, of course, Jesus says that the measure you use to judge other people is the measure that's going to be used to judge you. And I think, I'll speak for myself, I often forget that. I often forget that the standard I use about addressing and judging everybody else is the standard that's going to be used against me. Jesus is not addressing, the, again, he's not saying we cannot call sin, sin, and we cannot be concerned about sin, and we cannot confront sin. He's simply saying, what's your attitude? What's your perspective? Is it arrogance? Is it condemnation? Is it a condescending spirit? Because if that's the case, that's going to come back upon you. He goes on to sort of lay this out in the next three verses. And he talks about specks and planks or or, uh, logs. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck that's in your friend's eye. Jesus loves hyperbole. I don't think he's actually saying we have logs sticking out of our eyes. But he's talking about the fact that how do do we keep from judging? Remember our own sinfulness. Remember our own struggle with sin. Remember how easy it is to think we're better than other people. Man, they struggle with that. Wow, that's really bad. Forgetting we struggle with stuff too. And one of the ways to, to be humble toward other people struggling with sin is to remember our own sinfulness, our own struggles with sin. The death knell in our lives is to think we don't have struggle with sin anymore. We don't have to worry about it. We're past that. We're beyond that. There have been people through history who have said, I've gotten to the place where I no longer am tempted to sin. I got to tell you, I find that hard to believe. Because Jesus was tempted with sin on the very earliest days to the very end, right before the cross. The struggle with sin is is something we live with all the time. And to to not admit that means that we're going to end up living with a spirit of arrogance toward other people. And so Jesus is saying, you know, there is definitely a speck in the other person's eye. He's not saying just pretend that they don't struggle with sin. He's saying before you can address anybody else, you need to address yourself. And sometimes the image that we as Christians give to other people who are not Christians is we've pretty much figured this thing out. We're good. And, and, And we can help you be good if you just listen to us. If you just do what we tell you, you'll be great. And we have this condescending judgmental spirit, and everyone's looking at us, and what's interesting is, we may miss the log in our eye, but they see it. They understand that they see that log sticking out of our eye. We just choose to ignore it. And if we want to be an influence on other people who are struggling with sin, we start with ourselves. We start looking at ourselves and asking God, what's in my life that needs to be taken care of? Now, Jesus is not saying you can never address anybody else's sin until you've gotten taken care of all of your sin. Because if that were the case, none of us would say anything about anybody's sin. He's talking about our attitude, our spirit, that spirit of arrogance that sends the message to people, I'm better than you. Instead of, Jesus did something to for me and he would love to do something for you. There, there is this this sense I think of of commonality that helps us as we as we work with people struggling with sin again whether you are talking about people in the church or outside the church. there is a sense of commonality that that can help help us, Find common ground in our conversations about the struggles we have. You know, a month or so ago, I was dealing with this kidney stone. And it's amazing to me how something that's seven or eight millimeters can just stop you dead in your tracks. But a number of you have experienced that. And you know what I'm talking about. So you know, I'm uh, the day that I was having this procedure, and they were going to put me under. And I, so I go to the hospital, and you, know, you can't, of course, you can't eat or anything or drink anything for you know midnight or something before. And, and the problem is, as the morning went along, I started getting a migraine headache. And and we get to the hospital about ten, and am walking through all these things, and the headache's getting worse, and I'm lying there in the little waiting room waiting for the doctor and it's, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, one o'clock and you know, waiting for all these things to happen and the migraine is getting worse and worse and worse. And, you know, the nurse is calling a doctor saying, you know, he's got a really bad migraine and probably need to do something about it, but he didn't want to give me anything. And I remember lying there thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure this is a doctor who's never had a migraine before seriously I remember I'm thinking to myself I wish I had a doctor who experienced migraines and he would understand what I'm going through right now and he would also understand that it's gonna be pretty hard for me to get through this procedure because I'm starting to get really sick here and and finally the doctor came in about two o'clock and 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 looked at me and went wow you're in really bad shape aren't you yeah we've been trying to tell you that he said well, we better give him some medicine and in 15 minutes I was feeling better you know, and then he could do the procedure and, and things. And, and, and there was something, I mean, I, I want a good doctor who knows what they're doing with this thing. And I take that over a doctor who had migraines. But, you know, and, but I, you, know, you, know how, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, but, but I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I, I, I think I could have relaxed. And it would have been a much better experience if this person understood what I was going through. And there's something about that in how we, how we communicate to people about the struggles of our sins. It doesn't mean we have to share everything about our lives, but there is this sense of we understand the, the seriousness and the difficulty of our sin struggles because we struggle too. And there's something about people understanding that and, and the, the compassion of that and the commonality of that that makes people much more open and ready to hear what we might have to say. I think there's something of that related to what Jesus says in verse 6. This is one of those verses that I, when I read it, I think, wow, I kind of wish this wasn't in the Bible. You know, there are some of those things you read, some of the Psalms you read, you think, yikes, that makes me nervous. And And, and Jesus says here in verse 6... Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Or don't, the other translation says, don't throw to dogs what is unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. And that sounds as if Jesus is saying, there are some people who you shouldn't share the gospel with. That doesn't really sound like Jesus, does it? that's not i don't think that's what jesus is saying now in the context of jesus sitting on the standing on the mountain and and teaching all of his audience is jewish and when and jewish people tended to refer to gentiles as dogs and pigs they they did not look favorably on them and vice versa and, and, they, and so Jesus says this, he's, in essence, they might interpret that as you shouldn't share about God with Gentiles. But what Jesus is really saying is he came, and he says this other places, he has come for the house of Israel. And the point is not to exclude other people. The point is what God has done from Abraham through Israel all the way through is I want my people, Israel, to understand who I am, to have relationship with me so that they then have the ability to share me with the rest of the world. It's not that Jesus is being exclusive. He's simply saying there is a a good way for this to take place, a better way for this to happen. And that is, let's get the house of Israel who knows me better than anybody else. Let's bring them on board and then they can help other people get on board. And so now we come to the 21st century. And I think the message of this is there is a right and a wrong way to talk about our faith. There's a right and a wrong way to address people who are struggling with sin. And far too often, we don't think about that. All we're thinking about is, that's wrong and I need to address it. And we're not thinking about things like relationships. We're not thinking about things like timing. God's very interested in timing. Timing. Paul tells us in Galatians that when, at just the right time, God sent his son. And that says to me that there were all kinds of other times that were not the right time. I don't know exactly why that one time was the right time and all the other times were the wrong time. I don't understand exactly all of the implications of that, but it's clear there was a right time and a wrong time. Something about that particular moment was the right time for Jesus to come. And there is a right time and a wrong time for us to share. There are right words and wrong words for us to share. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut. And sometimes we need to say something. And the difference is, is this about our agenda or is it about what people need to hear in the most effective way? Is it about we just want to say to people what we want to say because their sin offends us? Or are we thinking about how can I say this in a way that they will most easily and readily hear and accept? It's the difference between it being about us and it being about them. And you look at the ministry of Jesus. I'm sure there are all kinds of things. Jesus thought to himself, oh, I could say this to that person. And I could say this to that person. And he doesn't. And he doesn't address everyone the same way. He doesn't address everyone with the same words. Because different people need to hear different things at different times. But it's about The people. You've had the experience of getting an eyelash in your eye and the pain of that or maybe a piece of sawdust or something in your eye and you can't get it out and you're working with it and working with it and your eyes getting irritated and you're getting irritated. And and somebody is watching this take place and they come over to you and say, look, I can get that out for you. No, that's okay. Really don't want you sticking your finger in my eye. No, seriously, I can do it. I can do it for you. I, I know the problem. I'll do it. No, I really don't want you to do it. Yes, I'm going to do it because I know what you need. And they push you down to the ground and they grab a couple other people and they're holding you down. And the guy's in there in your eye pulling out and they get it out. Are you happy about that? Probably not. Do you want to have a continuing relationship with that person? Probably not. You might want to file charges against them. And yet sometimes as Christians, it feels like that's what we do with people. We see their problems, we see their struggles, we see their sins, and all we're thinking about is, I'm going to take that thing out, I'm going to help you with that, whether it kills you or not. We're not thinking at all about being sensitive to this person. Maybe if over time and building a relationship, they would say, you know what, I trust you. Could you help me with this? And it really, a lot of, of addressing and influencing people struggling with sin, again, whether they're talking about each other or outside the church, is building relationships and earning the right to say things to people that are hard and difficult. But so often, we are so enamored with, with our own agenda. And sometimes we have the right motive. Sometimes we're just, we just we want people to know what we've known. We want people to experience what we've experienced but again we get so passionate about it all we're thinking about is us and not really them because what we need to be thinking about is how will they hear most effectively how will they hear and see most clearly and most readily how do we how do we build a relationship how do we, how do we say things in a way that people will respond positively instead of like Jesus says just trample the stuff underground and maybe turn on us it's about that spirit of sensitivity to people i think that's what jesus means when he brings up the golden rule you'll do unto others as you would have them do unto you when you're struggling with sin how do you want people to respond to you Do you want people to be aggressive who really don't have a relationship with you? Or do you want people to respond with compassion and grace and truth and love? It's not that we're ignoring sin. Please hear me. I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying there is a, a... a good way to influence people and a negative way to influence people. There's a there's a positive way to address the sin that we struggle with and a negative way to address it. and And is our goal to win? Or is our goal for people to encounter Christ? Is our goal to get people to do what we want them to do? Or is our goal to think, how will people most readily hear the gospel? So that they can be set free. So we do unto others as as we want them to do to us. When Jesus says this summarizes all the law and the prophets, everything that is written in the scriptures. This one sentence summarizes it. Because when you read the scriptures. Everything God says to his people is about loving each other. When you love God, you love other people. That's what John tells us in his first epistle. And if you say you love God, but you don't love other people, if you say you love God, but you're not sensitive to other people, if you say you love God, but but really your agenda is about you and not them, John says you don't really love God. Your heart really isn't open to God. And that's when we end up with logs sticking out of our eyes and facing the backlash of our judgmental, condescending spirit. I think this this golden rule is is really the... I think it's describing, giving us a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth. Because in the new heaven and new earth when Jesus returns and ushers in the kingdom and and we're no longer struggling with sin like we are now, our focus won't be on ourselves. Our focus will be on God and others. Our lives will will be, the joy of our lives will be serving God and serving others. Just like Jesus. I'm convinced that this mindset comes back to our view of God. I'm coming to the place more and more all the time where I think everything in our lives is rooted in our, in our view of God. People who reject Christianity, people who reject God, I'm convinced do so because they have a skewed view of who God is. And, and people embrace God and the kingdom because we've gotten a glimpse of who God is. If our view of God is that he is the boss that, is, that just keeps putting unending demands on us, if, if he's the taskmaster who keeps driving us, if he's all about rules for us, then we're going, to, we're going to view sin and we're going to approach sin and we're going to address sin from the mindset of rules and standards and condemnation and judgment. But if God is one who is compassionate and loving, who is the truth, who is full of grace and mercy about our sin, then we are going to approach sin with each other in that same perspective of grace and compassion and mercy and love. Not to be, not to eliminate, not to deny sin, but to help us all Work through our sin to find freedom and grace through Christ. John Stott says that that this idea about judging one another is not a call to be, it's not a requirement to be blind. It's a plea to be generous. It's a plea for compassion and grace like we see in Jesus. And I know our typical response is, well, hey, i got to speak the truth. I'm about the truth and we got to be about the truth. And we have to speak the truth. And I couldn't agree with you more. But my question, the thing that's been rattling around in my mind lately is, when did, when did speaking the truth become equated with condemnation and judgment? How come speaking the truth, when we say that, never what never comes to our mind is love? When Jesus says the truth, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, he's not talking about condemnation, he's talking about love. He's talking about his love that sets us free. And it's not a denial of the truth at all. It's just simply a perspective of how we address the truth and how we address everyone who's struggling with sin. Is our goal to condemn or is our goal to love? Is our motivation to judge and condemn or is our motivation to love? Jesus tells us in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And Jesus goes on to say that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through his loving grace. And I'm convinced it comes back to our perspective of who God is. Our view of God. And that's why Jesus says, those of you who are parents, if, if your son asks for a stone, asks for a fish, would you give him a stone? If your son asks for bread, would you give him a snake? Of course not. And if you who are not exactly perfect parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven? Who loves you, created you, cares for you, wants the very best for you. This is the God that we worship and love. And this is the God we want people to know as we know. A God who doesn't ignore sin by any means. Who sent His Son to this earth to die because of sin. That's how seriously He takes it. But who woos us in His love his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So how do we get to the place where we have that mindset that Jesus is describing here? I think it comes back to the spiritual disciplines again. And specifically the spiritual discipline of prayer. There are people here, scholars, who think that this section of The Sermon on the Mount is really just a a disconnected compilation of a variety of things that Jesus said. That they're really just individual, distinct statements. I could not disagree more. I am convinced, even though it feels that way sometimes, I am convinced that that Jesus is, is clearly giving us a message. He talks about not judging. He talks about not throwing, about the log and the speck. And he talks about not throwing the pearls before pigs. And then he says... Ask, seek, knock, and you'll get. And we often take this passage, this this thing about prayer, out of context. And we, we think this means whatever I ask for, God will give me. Whatever I seek, God will help me find. Whatever door I knock on, God will open. And it's like this magic formula to get what we want. But I think this needs to be understood in the context of what Jesus is talking about here. I think what He's saying is, the prayer we pray, what we ask for, seek, what we knock, the door we knock on, is God, give me eyes that can see people the way you do. Give me eyes to see you the way you are. Give me eyes to see myself in all of my struggles with sin as I am. Give me the ability to understand how to communicate your grace and your word and your message to people who are struggling with sin. And the prayer, is the words that are used here are, have this, the context of ongoing action. It's not just we ask once, seek once, knock once. It is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because it is a prayer we never get to the end of. We never get to the place where we can see God and ourselves and others perfectly. So we keep asking for God's help. We keep praying for it every day, moment by moment. God, give me your eyes. Take the log out of my eye. Help me to love as you love. Help me to see as you see. And that's why Jesus says, everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds every door you knock on will be open to you because that is a prayer i guarantee you god always answers always the prayer for our eyes to be opened to see god as he is to see ourselves as we are and to see others the way god does is a prayer god always answers Because that is, in many ways, that is a desire to be holy, to be like Jesus. And we never have to wonder if that's a prayer we should be praying. If that's a prayer that God will answer, he will always answer that prayer. And my my desire, my, my let, let me just... Let me ask you to do one thing this week. That at least once a day for a couple of minutes, that you would add to your daily prayers, whether you pray five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever. That you would add a minute or two to your daily prayer, asking God to open your eyes and to open your heart that you would see him as he is, that you would see yourself as you are, and that you would see others as he does. So that we can be an influence, a Christ-like influence on people struggling with sin. And the great thing about that is, as everybody else is praying the same prayer, people will be that influence on us. As we struggle with our sin. If we could if we could make that our prayer, that's a sincere desire of our hearts, God would answer that prayer, and I am convinced it would dramatically transform not just us as individuals, but us as the church. And it would influence, it would dramatically transform not just how we relate to each other but it would transform how people see us as the church. The church looking like Jesus. People who take sin as seriously as God does and do it in a way that looks like Jesus because our eyes are open, because our hearts are open God, about ourselves, and toward others. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will you will help us to understand this, this amazing privilege you've given us of being an influence for you with one another and with others about our struggle with sin, this pathway of setting us free through your grace. Lord, make this our prayer, the desire of our hearts. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.
2: Please stand and join us as we sing.
1: the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen.